Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't it so wonderful to be in His presence once again? Certainly enjoyed the singing. Appreciate those who have come to be with us. Let's read um, Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7. Very fitting song, Brother Louis, that you wanted wanted us to sing. Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7 to 9. And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. And my holy name Shall the house of Israel defile? Listen to this now. No more they're going to defile. God's going to run a contrast now between what had been with the children of Israel and the millennium. My holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile. Neither they nor their kings by their whoredom, nor by the carcasses of their kings in the high places. Now listen carefully. By their whoredoms, nor by the carcasses of their kings in their high places. In setting of their threshold by my thresholds, and their post by my post, and the wall between me and them. Now remember this is a parallel. The wall between the, them, let me, just, let me just tell you up front. Okay, I was going to save it, but let me tell you up front. The Solomonic compound, the temple, his palace and the temple, there was only one wall between them. So their threshold, their doorpost was set right by God's. When the kings died, they buried them on this holy mount. So God is running the parallel now, and he's telling them that more by the carcasses of their king. So when God was looking at that, Solomon was there, Rehoboam was there, you know, all the kings down of Judah, they was buried right there on the holy place 
of God, the temple mount. And there was just a wall that separated Solomon. So you imagine whenever he was living right, it was bad enough. But whenever he got away from God with all of his whoredoms and all that he was doing, here was his house and here was God's house right next to him. But God said, it ain't going to be that way in the millennium. And the setting of their threshold by my thresholds and their posts by my posts and the wall between me and them, they have even defiled my holy name by their abominations that they have committed. Wherefore, I have consumed them in mine anger. Now let them put away their whoredom and the carcasses of their kings far from me. You say, what would make them want to do that? The very temple mount, the house of God. You remember reading the book of Acts whenever Peter and them was, was preaching and they talked about the temple or the burial place of David. His sepulcher is with us even to this day. You know where that's at? The upper room where they went up to receive the Holy Ghost, right over David's sepulcher. We stood there at the end of April. It's right there. So it was still there. So here they're coming, and they're putting their burying places in the house of God. My, my. But God said, let them put away their whoredom and the carcasses of their kings far from me. This is what you get in place of it. And I will dwell in the midst of them forever. So let's lay aside our ideas, our creeds, our old dead, this and that and the other. Let's let the king come and dwell with us. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you tonight for your grace to us, Lord. We so appreciate so far our time together. Thank you for the songs, the prayers that have been offered, the prayer requests that have been made known. Now, Lord, we come to the breaking of the word, and we are taught that this is the most important part. The other parts have created an atmosphere, been able to bring the presence of God here among us to open up our hearts to make it fertile ground by which we can receive the seed word. As we look at the parallel of the scriptures tonight, we ask you, Father, that you would break to us the bread of life. May it be more than history that we're about to read. May it be more than just something that's a future event. But may it be an ongoing current event that will lead us to that great day that we're longing for. And that is the change of our bodies. Speak to us tonight, Father, your precious word. For it's in the name of the living word we ask it, the Lord Jesus. And the saints said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to speak to you again tonight on the honeymoon. What a peculiar thing that this might seem like, that God would bring Ezekiel to this place. Now remember, Ezekiel was, he was uh, a little different than some of the other prophets saying that he had been a priest. He had come to a great place in the presence of God. He had seen the glory of God 
depart from the temple, which was a very sad thing for him. But now God is allowing him to see the returning glory, which is going to take place in the millennium. By vision, he saw the tribes dispersed. He saw horrible things that was going to come to pass in the land of Israel. But God now has caught him up into the fourth dimension where prophets see their visions. And now he's going to allow him to see plumb over in the land of the millennium. Now we know that the millennium is actually the closing of God's great week of time. Now listen, the millennium is the last day or the closing of the week of God's great time that he's been dealing with man on the earth since the Garden of Eden. Now think of it that the millennium will be the seventh day. It will be 1,000 years, of course, is a day in God's time frame. So up to this time, there would have been six days. And the millennium will be the last day of the week of time before the loop of time is pulled back up into eternity again. Amen. Now think how close that we are tonight. I believe that it's, it's near, don't you? Now when we think of this, we think of that God has allowed so many of these things in time and He wanted to be able to display all of His greatness. Now we look around and we see the things around us that's so dark and so terrible and yet you think about it in 6,000 years of time if God would measure time that 6,000 years all of these things have happened. But yet, including the millennium, when it's all said and done, as far as God's time is concerned, only one week has lapsed. One week. All that has happened on the earth since the fall of man from the Garden of Eden, and yet in God's time, it's only been one week. Oh my, that's encouraging to me. Now, you think that God desires to be able to merge the millennium is going to be the merging of the supernatural kingdom of God by the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the church ages with the more natural material kingdom of the eighth day. So the millennium is bringing the supernatural and the natural together. How many believes Jesus is a king tonight? We believe we're in the kingdom of God. He's your king, right? You ever seen him? You ever touched him? You ever felt him, his flesh, his body? But you believe he's your king, right? How is he your king? Supernaturally. But the millennium will allow the kingdom of God to be able to merge together. So it's taking the previous six days and merging them on the seventh day with the eighth day, which is going to be the eternal. Now, more and more and more, as we look into the blessed day of God, we see that it is that He wanted to become material. He wanted to become tangible. 
Now, for us, this is all we've ever known. This is the only thing we've ever been. We've never been spirit. We've never been ghost. We've never been theophany. So the only thing we've ever known is touch and feel and see and smell and emotionally all of that. But if God was the eternal, he wanted to be tangible. So the millennium will actually allow the planet itself to enter back into its original first day condition. But it will be the dawning of the seventh day. So the alpha and the omega will merge together again. Amen. Now in this, the earth will bring back her original Eden beauty. Jesus will be on the earth literally reigning in a glorified body and it will be God dwelling among his people. His throne will be on the earth and his people will be on the earth and there will be many similarities in the millennium to the eighth day. Now, it won't be as much in the first six preceding 6,000 years as it will be like the eighth day because it's going out of time and blending into eternity. So there will be many, many things in the millennium. If you've read Isaiah 65 and then turn over and read Isaiah 66, you've already had a preview of it. And it makes it a little bit hard to know which one is talking about the millennium and which one is talking about eternity or the eighth day. God did that on purpose. Now, what's this in Ezekiel 43, 7? And he said unto me, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the souls of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile, neither they nor their kings by their whoredom, nor by their carcasses of their kings in their high places. So the Jerusalem temple is here represented as the throne of God. Now remember, Satan will precede this in the time of the tribulation, and he will actually be allowed to take the third temple, which will be built in the time of the tribulation, and he will set upon that throne as if he is God himself. But it won't last long, three and a half years. So all this trouble for three and a half years is pretty short-lived. But the Lord Jesus will now come down and his throne will actually set upon the temple mount. All the rest of the places will be very, uh, very low and the elevation of the topography of the earth will be changed. And as far as the rest of the mountains on the earth, they will be more or less like hills because the geography of Jerusalem will so be elevated because it is forerunning what will happen in the eighth day. Notice Jeremiah 3.17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. Now remember this could never be said until the millennium. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it for the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Notice they're going to gather to the name of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now this temple compound will be bigger and larger than any temple that's ever been built on the earth. 
bigger than the first, bigger than the second, bigger than the third. Now, it is for a cause. It needs to be this large because there will be people gathering from all over the earth, from new moon, from the Sabbath, from one Sabbath to another. There will be priests in the temple, which will be after the order of Zadok. Zadok will be the lineage, according to Ezekiel, that his lineage will be those which will be the priests which will be functioning in the worship place of the temple of God. Now the temple will also house the throne. Also the prince, which is the Messiah, is given a certain side of the temple and a certain entrance to the gate of the city. Now notice God runs the parallel and how that God likens himself to setting up in heaven and that heaven was his throne and then the earth was his footstool. Notice Psalms 11.4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try, the children of men. So God, notice that God sets up in heaven as it were and his throne is in the heaven and then the earth is like his footstool. But in the millennium, the condescension of God will totally be rearranged. Notice Isaiah 66, 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build me? And where is the place of my rest? Now God is asking them the question because the contemplation of them wanting to, of course, rebuild the temple and have a place where the presence of God can be. So God now looks and shows them from his personal view that heaven itself is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. But the condescension of God had already happened in the book of Exodus. Insomuch that the ark of the covenant became the footstool of God. But their sin and their wickedness had drove the presence of God so far away from them. That now is as if though that God is as we would say millions of miles away. Notice Ezekiel 43.7 again. And he said unto me son of man the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. Now notice in the millennium that the throne is not in heaven. The millennium is going to bring down the very embodiment of the deity of God under the reign of the Lord Jesus as son of David. Now, King David will also be here as vice regent. Uh, Jesus told his apostles in Matthew, he said, when in the regeneration, we might look at that tomorrow, but in the regeneration, which is the rebirth of the earth, in the regeneration, you will sit with me and I will sit upon the throne and you will sit with me on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So Jesus likens this now. Now, the beginning of the regeneration of the earth or the earth becoming born again. Now, because the earth is in this stage, it allows the throne of God to no longer be there in another dimension, but actually to be able to be on the earth. He said, "Where well, I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever, and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile. Now, God is running this parallel and saying, in your former days, you did 
not have what it took to be able to loose you from the hold of sin. So you served me out of fear. You served me out of loyalty. But now I'm telling you, once you are born of my spirit, it will give you the very thing you need. And in the millennium, there will be the 144,000. Of course, there will be the elect Jews down through the ages. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Paul, Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, on and on and on. And that will be the elect of of, of the Gentiles, of course, the bride. And then there will be the heathen which will be upon the earth and here will be the Lord Jesus and the soles of his feet will actually set upon the earth. I love the way God describes this because God in the condescension of using human vocabulary wants to show us his very power of condescension. Notice in Psalms 99.5 Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. Now your David is catching the very, the very epitome of what the Ark of the Covenant was. Because the cherubims as they was made and they was leaned one toward the other like this. Their wings above them and their heads bowed down looking toward the contents in the ark. And they would look facing each other with their heads bowed. And this was the place where they would bow. And there the worshipers, the high priests, those which were allowed, would come in and they would bow. And David is referring to the ark of the covenant as the footstool of God. Psalms 132 verse 7. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Isaiah 6. 60:13. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, the box together to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. So now it is not just going to be the little small box called the Ark of the Covenant, but it will actually be identified as the city of God, which is Jerusalem. And Jerusalem will be called the habitation of the Lord or the city of truth. Truly, it will bear its name as it should have been doing all of this year, the place of peace. Notice in Lamentations 2.1. How has the Lord covered the daughter of Zion with a cloud in his anger and cast down from heaven unto the earth the beauty of Israel and remembered not his footstool in the day of his anger. Now God is showing them what their sins done. That God removed his feet, as it were, from the footstool which was the Ark of the Covenant. Now remember, by the time Lamentations is written, Jeremiah is sitting five miles outside the city of Jerusalem in a cave where he is weeping and crying and lamenting because Nebuchadnezzar has now carried away many of the people of Jerusalem and they're on the way to Babylon. Uh, The gold, the much of the silver, the precious metals have been carried away. The city has now been burnt and destroyed and God said, I brought this cloud upon you because of your sin and your unbelief. I have removed my feet from the footstool of the Ark of the Covenant. But remember when God now shows this to Ezekiel, he's showing him a parallel. This is what was many, many years ago, Ezekiel, but I'm showing you what's going to happen and never again will Israel defile my name. Never again will they get away from me. And uh, also reminding him in the point of view that there will not be dead kings next to my house because my children will never die. 
Praise God. There will be no royal tombs in the great temple of Jerusalem. There will be no royal places where you go and pay honor to the dead. You'll not bring flowers and wreaths and so on because, thank God, the elect will not die. Oh my, praise the Lord. Notice he says there again in Ezekiel 43, 7, go down to the middle of the verse, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever and my holy name shall the house of Israel no more defile, neither they nor their kings by their whoredom nor by the carcasses of the kings in their high places. Now I know it may seem strange to us. We think why in the world would God even want to be among us? Why would God want to dwell among us. Well, that's why he made man for in the beginning, the prophet says, was for fellowship. God loves fellowship and God dwelt alone with his attributes. And then the first beings that he made, of course, was angels. And then he entered into the position of being God because God is an object of worship. And there was nothing to worship him prior to that. So then when he done that, then these beings started worshiping him. So he made seraphims and zoons and cherubims and all different degrees of angels and gave them different, delegated to them different realms of authority and power. And then God knowing that many of those angels would fall. But yet the New Testament tells us that there are elect angels and of course we know they could not fall. But God wanted to be worshipped and he wanted to be loved. But he did not want to be that distant being which many people have in their mind today of a God that they really can't relate to. And you know that's exactly what that God, that Satan done to Eve in the Garden of Eden. When he said, yea, hath God said, which of course he used the original creative name of God instead of the compound name, Lord God. But when God got ready to deal with man, he identified himself as Lord God. But the devil, the serpent, said to her, yea, hath God said. What you trying to do? Make him distant. Don't you understand when people backslide away from this message? It's easier for them to grab a hold of this God out here than it is the God of this message. That's why they go, they want to totally change their view of God when they leave this word. They don't just cut their hair. They don't just start, you know, dressing and things out in the world. They've got to change their view of God. So what do they do? They grasp this God, which is just so loved by everybody, and he loves everybody and will let them do whatever they want to do. They've got to change their view of God. That's not the God I want. I want the God of truth and reality. That God is a figment of people's imagination. And they go to rethinking God about what God is and how God does. But friends, the God of this message is the living, true God. That's why people hate him. And look, it's not Brother Branham when people leave this word. It's not Brother Branham they hate. It's not really this message they hate. It's not really me and you. It's the God of this message. It's the God of this message that they hate. And then when they get around other people, they go to listen to their imagery of God and they retool or reshape, as Aaron did, another image of God in their mind, which is more loose, of course. He's more led to sin. He's more watered down. And he lets them do what they want to do. And he understands. Yeah, he understands. He understands if you ever get born again, the desire of sin is gone. But that's the God that many people cannot stand. So then they trade off that imagery. The children of Israel done the same thing. What would make a people want to be able to fall down and worship a calf when a living God had brought them out of the land of Egypt and had performed miracle after miracle, sign and wonder, and yet they would want a God fashioned by a man's hand? People are still doing the same thing today. 
They're not taking a graving tool. They're taking this one right here in their mouth. Well, I don't believe God that way. I don't think God's this way. You're taking a graving tool and making a God after your own image or your own likeness. That's right. Notice now, Exodus 25, verse 8. God said, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. You imagine God saying that. Will you all do me a favor? Will you all do something for me? Would, would, would you all make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them? Why in the world would God want to do that? He would want to leave the praise of cherubims and seraphims and zoons and angels and come down and live among people and hear them talk about their goats and their cows and their grandchildren and their problems and their backaches and their headaches. You mean God would rather hear that than angelic talk? He loves you, friends. He loves you. He wants to be a part of your life. Don't you believe the lie of the devil to tell you that God's too busy for what troubles you? He wants you to come to Him. He wants you to bring your sorrows, your difficulty, your despairs of life. Oh, but I don't want to trouble Him. He wants to be troubled by you. He loves you with every saying that he is he loves you notice Exodus 29 45 and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them I am the Lord their God Oh my, Psalm 68, 18. Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. You understand the scripture, of course, is the one that Paul quoted whenever he talked about the Lord Jesus ascending upon high. The Lord Jesus received ministerial gifts ministerial gifts from the Father God to be able to hand down to his people that by these gifts manifesting the presence of God, the people would know God was dwelling among them. He led captivity captive and gave those gifts unto men. Wouldn't do no good for him to keep the gifts. So what did he do? He received those gifts from the eternal presence of God. The prophet said it was like a great diamond. And the diamond was chipped off and one part made a Victrola needle. And another part made this and another part made that. But it all come from the eternal down to the Logos, from the Logos down to the body. And then when the anointed gifts of God are, oh, hallelujah, by the Holy Ghost, men get out of the way and the Spirit of God speaks through them. It's not there to declare that man. It's not there to declare that preacher. It's there to declare the glory of God. It's there to manifest the presence of the Lord Jesus. Oh, praise God. Notice Psalms 132, 13. And the Lord hath chosen Zion. Listen to Scripture. For he has desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Praise be to God. Because Zion is the most beautiful place. For those of you who ain't been there, take my word for it. It is not one of the most pretty places you'll ever see on the earth. Is it, Brother Mark? Looking at the landscape, looking at the trees, you see more rocks and dust and sand than about anything. 
As far as looking at it in the natural sense. Oh my, I've seen places in Norway, places in Africa, places all over the earth. That as far as just looking at it by the eye. But you see, it's the same way in the way God chose you and I. He looks at us and say, I desired you from the foundation of the world. And other people look at it and say, him, really? Oh, he ain't worth nothing. You don't know his life the way I do. God said, yeah, I knew it before you knew it. That's why I desired him. That's right. So God looks at Zion and he said, it's not just what I see now. I know what it will become once my glory is upon the earth. I know what it will become in the millennium. I know what it will become in the eighth day. And God looks at you and I, my, whenever we was in the world, the devil himself probably give up on a lot of us. He thought, we're so far gone, they don't even worry about it. There ain't nothing to worry. And God come by and said, my reputation is made known by picking up such people, by washing them, sanctifying them, filling them with the Holy Ghost and revealing myself to them. Hallelujah. And God said, I have desired you. Oh, praise God. Notice Ezekiel 37, 26, moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I, I will place them and multiply them and will, listen, set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Praise God. Revelation 7, 15, Therefore are they before the throne and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that setteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Except in the millennium, it won't be the invisible presence. It will be in a body. Remember God had not ever taken or created a permanent flesh body until the sonship which was the white light that come out of the eternal when time began. But he had appeared, disappeared. Pillar of fire, cloud, bush, Appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18. He could appear in the form of Melchizedek. Disappear. But when the Son of God is born of a virgin, then God said, this is my part of the earth. And from this part, I will redeem all the rest of it. Amen. So Jesus is God's part. God remembers not an old man sent up in heaven, but God is a spirit. Now unto the king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be dominion power forever and ever. And the church said, that's who God is. Now God then raises up this body, which is called Jesus. Amen. In this body, he will live upon the earth. Now notice he appears to Paul of course, on the way to Damascus. And what does he see? He said, the Lord Jesus, you're persecuting me. Well, I said, Jesus, I've never even seen you. Who are you? Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, who you persecute. Jesus in the form of his bride under the dispensation of the Son of God 
God was being persecuted. And what did Paul see? A pillar of fire. But remember, Jesus still had a body. Remember, he changed himself in Mark and he appeared unto them in another form. So this was a coming of the Lord Jesus, but not the coming to start the rapture. Well, hallelujah. It was a fanario or an appearing of the Lord, but it never started the rapture. 1963 was another coming of the Lord, but the dead did not get up. Well, praise God. Saturday night after Saturday night after Wednesday night after Sunday morning, we have another coming of the Lord and another coming of the Lord. I'll tell you one thing. I believe he's already come right here tonight. But none of those comings actually set in motion the rapture or the resurrection. That's what we're waiting for. There's no telling how many times he's come to the earth. Praise God. Now notice when Ezekiel is carried up to the river Chebar and he goes to see this heavenly visitation and he's, he's led by a man or instructed by a man with a reed or a rod in his hand and a measuring line. And the man has the appearance of, as it were, bronze. There's a great parallel between this vision and what John saw on the Isle of Patmos because they're going to see some very, very similar things. So whenever Ezekiel looks and he sees this temple city, now he doesn't just see a temple and he doesn't just see a city, but he actually sees the merging together of a temple city. And he sees a throne inside this temple city. And the the thing is so vast that it would actually jut plumb out into the Mediterranean for several miles. So the topography of Israel will have to be changed in order for the Mediterranean to be pushed back. And then for this temple city to be able to be set on what we know as Mount Zion or the city of David or Mount Moriah. Now, notice he said unto me, Ezekiel 43, 7, Son of man, the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell. So God is now showing him the future advent or his coming. I said, look, it's not going to be like it was when Solomon built his temple because his temple was one wall away from my sanctuary. And he was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. Remember, it was Israel's millennium, basically, when Solomon reigned. So because he did this, it wasn't necessarily wrong that he put his residence next door to the house of God. It was a great figure of the millennium. But if apparently there was elements about it that God said, I do not want them to do. They're burying their kings right next to my house. And whenever they started doing idolatries and all kinds of things, there was just a wall that separated them from their heathen worship. And God said, I don't like it. But yet the very pattern that was built on Mount Moriah will be built once again. Notice in verse 8, 
in setting their threshold by my threshold and their post by my post and the wall, notice the wall between me and them. They have defiled my holy name by their abominations and they have committed. Wherefore, I have consumed them in my anger. So God, now he says, look, Ezekiel, you saw the glory depart. Now the temple has already been destroyed, of course, by the time Ezekiel is prophesying. Actually, Ezekiel himself become one that was carried away in the Babylonian captivity. But notice this in verse 9. Now let them put away their whoredom and the carcasses of their kings far from me and I will dwell in the midst of them forever. Now what's the parallel of this of Revelation 21.3? And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now this is the eighth day. But the seventh day will mirror the eighth day. I hope I don't seem too complicated to you. If it is, look at yourself. Because you're in the seventh church age. But if you got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're mirroring eternity tonight. Our conversation is in heaven, Paul said. So we have been touched by heaven because we're from heaven. We're born by heaven and we reflect heaven by our everyday behavior on this earth. Is that right? So then the prophet said, then you are back in eternity where you was all the time. Now, I know it chokes message folks to death, but he said you wasn't saved on any certain day. You always was saved. So while you're living in seven, your soul has moved over into eight. Praise be to God. That's why a Christian cannot die. If an atomic bomb dropped right in the middle of this church tonight, every child of God in this place cannot die a bit more than God can die. Now their bodies can because their bodies are still in time, but the soul has crossed the timeline and went back into the loop, back into eternity again, and we are in the seventh bearing witness of the eighth. In the millennium, we will be in the last day of the week bearing witness of the eighth day. The city will bear witness of the eighth day. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, let's look at a little bit of comparison here, if you don't mind. Hey, I'm talking about y'all's millennium, y'all's honeymoon. (laughs) Notice there is a bright light in both sevenths and eighths. Ezekiel 43.1, actual word he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looketh toward the east. Now remember all these temples are exactly in the same direction. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Now remember he had saw the glory leave. He had saw the glory of God leave and during these chapters here, it was Ichabod. So Ichabod was written over the economy of Israel. Ichabod was written over their land. Ichabod was written over their temple and it was destroyed. But now the same prophet sees the glory of God whirling and coming back. And the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise. Oh, praise God. Of many waters. 
And the earth shined with his glory. Now remember this. Remember that the, the millennium temple is actually Ezekiel chapter 40. On down through 44. And then through 48 you take up the worship and all that. So we're right in the millennium now. As far as the time frame. So the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters. Didn't John hear the same thing in Revelation 1? And the earth shined with his glory. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw. Even according to the vision that I saw when I came to destroy the city. Ah, so now he's seeing the same glory of God come back. Where like the vision I saw by the river Chubar. And I fell upon my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of Jesus. I mean, the gate. The gate, amen, whose prospect is toward the east. Revelation 21.10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And you'll imagine this appearance now is like a yellowish green, but clear. So it's iridescent. So it's like when you look at gems and they have more burst of color in certain places. Can you imagine gold, carbuncle, all of these precious gems illuminated by the brightness of Almighty God? As the rainbow colors will be reflecting all through the streets and up on the walls. Oh, praise God. I wish we could go tonight. Now notice, because the millennium is the closing of the week of time, God is allowing this place to be able to start reflecting a little bit of the coming glory. Lord, children, that shouldn't stumble you. It's the same thing that's happening right now pre-rapture. Don't you understand the problem? He came beyond the curtain time and he saw them people there of perfect love. And he said, I believe the people who go in the rapture will be like that before they leave. Why? Because that dimension is so pressing its way into where we are. And we're becoming less and less like the world and more and more like him. That the glory of God will be so upon us, we'll start acting like sixth dimension people. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, my. Notice, now Ezekiel again. In chapter 47, verse 1. Afterward, he brought me again to the door of the house, and behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. And you think God ain't picky? I don't need to stand out there with a water bucket and just throw it over here and throw it over there and throw it over there. God is directionally picky. God is very picky. 
And this is the part of God that our age don't like. They don't like a picky God. But now, notice the source. Now, we have to go back a little bit because Ezekiel does not see what Zechariah says. Zechariah 14, 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Now, this is the battle of Armageddon, of course. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Shall be not be cut off, rather. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Now remember the Mount of Olives is standing. If you're standing on the Mount of Olives and you're looking right straight this way, you will see the Mosque of Omar, the temple there that's built, of course, for Islam. So it's just as you'd shoot a gun straight across the valley, Kidron Valley. So here on the Mount of Olives, it will be a great cliff that will come when the Lord Jesus ascends out of the heavens. And when he does, the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. Half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, half of it toward the south. And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley, listen to this, of the mountains shall reach unto Aziel. Ye shall flee, like as ye fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. That's us. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day or night, but it shall come to pass at the evening time. It shall be light. And it shall be in that day that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem. Ezekiel does not catch of the origination from where it comes. Now notice when Jesus comes and sets his feet upon the Mount of Olives and then the Mount of Olives will cleave and break. But wait a minute. The Mount of Olives is not the temple mount. Unless, of course, the mountain expands and merges and the Kidron Valley disappears in order to make it big enough for this city. But Mark, you remember, probably standing there looking at it, your mind goes back to it now, no doubt as you can see it. It's not really that far. But yet, technically, it's not the Temple Mount. Unless the topography changes. And it just so happens, King Jesus is a topography specialist. He won't need no D9 dozers. He won't need no earth movers. He is the earth maker. Praise God. Amen. Now by this time, the cycle of the tribulation period has already leveled many mountains. We looked at it last week and many of them were cast into the sea. So now the topography of Jerusalem is becoming changed. You look at it, it's about middle way down. If you look at the allotments of the tribes and there'll be a little portion here, a little portion there and there and there. When you look at it in the Old Testament, but when you come to the millennium, it's totally, totally, completely rearranged. They're all lined up like this. And these horizontal lines, and they come around, and Jerusalem has landed down just a little bit below the middle of the country, and it expands on out toward the Mediterranean. Now remember, there's going to be waters that's going to come out, a river of life. Praise God. 
Notice this. Verse 8, and it shall be in that day that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, and in summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And in that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Gibeah, to Rimmon south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up. Now listen, from Gibbon to Rimmon, all these other places ought to be going to become like a plain. Yet right now there's seven hills around Jerusalem. So you go down in the valley of one, come right back up into another, and right down in the valley to another. But God said, no, I'm going to change it and make it closer like the eighth day. So whenever he stands upon it, you imagine when we're standing there and we're watching the topography of the earth. Oh my, no wonder I love preaching about Genesis and preaching about him creating the earth. One of these days, I'm going to be able to see it with my eyes. I'm going to be able to see my king do it again. Praise God. I'm going to be able to see him do his handiwork. Praise God. Notice in verse 11, and men shall dwell in it and there shall be no more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. So the earthquake now divides the Mount of Olives. It unleashes out of the core of the earth this fountain of water and it divides and splits and one goes toward the east and the other one goes toward the west. The one splits and goes toward the east, toward the Mediterranean, 37 miles. The other one turns and goes toward the west, toward the Dead Sea, about 17 miles, something like that. And remember, it is living water. It's not dead water. So it will not be the tribulation period that will actually cause the Dead Sea to change. It'll be the coming of Jesus. What changed you? The coming of Jesus. Praise God. Notice now, Ezekiel, we can pick it up again. Ezekiel 47.1. Actually, he brought me again to the door of the house. And behold, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east. And the waters came down from under, from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Then brought he me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the other gate by the way which looketh eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. So what's he see? The origination of the water of life. Praise God. How in the world people can spiritualize this and say it's all spiritual? It's beyond me. All the particulars that God expressed in this should be enough to let you know this is more than spiritual, friends. Now notice, it's amazing because this this stream will originate in the house of God as a narrow, shallow stream. But as it comes out, remember Ezekiel when he was carried out into this river? And Ezekiel said he went out, and when he started out, it was just weighted. And then he got further out, and then it got up to his knees. 
Then he got on out. This is the river. As he's going out, God, at Lord of mercy, can you imagine Ezekiel being allowed by vision to walk in the water of life? In the rivers of life, in this vision, as it come out of the house of God, and God said, Ezekiel, just step right down in it, son, and take your swim. And Ezekiel finally come and he said, you know what? I got out there and the water was so deep, it was swimming level. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. So now the sea will come and it will divide and head toward the salt sea. Bible doesn't call it Dead Sea, we call it that. But toward the Salt Sea, or the Great Sea as some call it. And it will come down the tribulation period, still dead. Only thing lives in is microorganisms which is able to take the saline solution. And all of a sudden, the waters will divide and come out from under the house of God. From the church will come water. And it'll start trickling down into there. For those of you that have never seen the Dead Sea, it is quite a sight within itself. Now, when we were there, they was having a lot of rains and having a lot of floods. As a matter of fact, uh, nine kids or something like that, I think it was, got killed when we were there because of the washes, the way they come down through what they call wadis, and they're washed down through. There's no trees. There's no vegetation to hold the rain. So when it comes down through, there just washes in a big barrage of water. Part of our road was actually washed over, and we had to change our route because of it. So here's these gigantic mountains standing up there, and there's no trees hardly at all, no bushes, hardly nothing, just these big mountains that was there but at one time remember this was a fertile valley it was an inhabited place when you go back to before Joshua would come in to take it over and you look at the history recorded of this place it was a great place but what happened sins of Sodom God turned this fertile place into nothing but desert and a dead sea so the waters will come. They'll go to working their way down. Come down through the waters. Come through the stream beds. And they'll go to working their way down. And when they do, and they'll start flooding into the entry port. And here it meets the salinity of this water that is so high in content. And all of a sudden, the waters of life begin to heal the Dead Sea. That ought to make you shout. It happened to you. Praise God. Many of you was mean on the copperhead. Why, you are so mean and grouchy and full of the devil. You couldn't stand yourself. You couldn't stand nobody else. You drunk, you lied, you stole, you cheated. You done everything in the world. And the Holy Ghost went to flowing in you. Praise God. Them microorganisms of the devil begin to die. All them things begin to die. And before you know it, fish started swimming around. Amen. All kinds of things started coming to life again. Why? The life of water from Jesus Christ. Praise God. Notice Joel chapter 3 verse 18. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine. And the hills shall flow with milk. And all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth out of the house of the Lord. And shall water the valley of Shittim. Ezekiel 47 6. And he said unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? Then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. And when I had returned, behold, glory to God. At the bank of the river were very many 
trees on the one side and on the other. And he said unto me, these waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert. Now friends, I hope you understand that the millennium is not exactly like the new earth in that when we step out on the new earth in the eighth day, it'll be totally done. It's like when we take over in the millennium for however long, it'll be a process. We may be here for weeks or months or, or years. Who knows exactly what it'll be before everything starts coming under the imagery of what he wants it to be. You imagine the waters will come. They'll, they'll burst up. But when they burst up on the Mount of Olives, there's no temple there. So they got to build a temple around that gushing stream. Praise the Lord. Then when they do that, then it'll have its direction from the house of God and it'll start coming down. It may be weeks. It may be months. Who knows? It might be a few years before all of this transpires. Can you imagine? We're in a honeymoon. Might just be us and Jesus for a while. Well, you know that is you go on a honeymoon, you want people to, hey, bring me up a Coke. Hey, bring me up a Boston cream pie. Bring us up something other. We don't want to go out for supper tonight. We want to stay here in the room and just look at one another and just swoon over one another. You need servants in there after a while. Well, we need servants in the millennium. We're going to need folks in the millennium, but who knows how long it'll be. And you know, the way that he prophesies but the chance is if though that the desert, the tribulation will not destroy it. But God will say, look at what I can do. Satan, look at what you've done. You've turned this into a chaos. But watch, children. Watch. Watch what I can do. Praise be to God. There's chunks of salt laying all around the Dead Sea everywhere. I picked up some brought home with me. Just chunks of salt laying everywhere. But it won't be when this happens. It'll be fertile soil. As the king starts letting the water come down through dead Donnie. I mean the dead sea. The dead you. And what looked like a salt block. Nothing but a lot's wife. Some of you might have thought you was a lot's wife. But boy did God surprise you when he said you're not lot's wife. You're mine. <laughs> You're not a Sodomite. You don't belong to the desert of Sodom. Praise God. Listen to this. These waters issue out toward the east country. Now this is after the temple is built. The waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert and go into the sea which being brought forth into the sea the waters shall be healed. And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. So you imagine there'll be desert places, there'll be parched places, and we're stepping out and saying, Lord, what are you going to do? And say, watch me. 
Watch. You remember when you'd come to the house of God and you were so dry and so parched. I do, Lord, I do. I remember time after time. Watch the parallel and picture yourself. You're Mount Zion. You're the temple. You're that place. And out of you did not, I say in St. John 7, 37, if any man believe on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Watch. And as we stand there and we see the wadis and we see the salt beds, we see all this dry, barren, nothing transformed into a paradise. Praise be to God. Look, friends, we've made it far too heavenly. I can see right now for some of the looks on y'all's face, this ain't near heavenly enough for you. Y'all was tuning up your fiddles and putting your, your bow across your harp and all that sort of thing and ready to float around on clouds. No, you got the wrong story. Notice this. Everything which moveth, whithersoever the rivers, let me close, shall come and live. There shall be a very great multitude. For they shall be healed. Everything shall live whether the river cometh. Let's stand. Let's stand. Verse 10, And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi, even unto Igliam. They shall be a place to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds. As the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. Brother Daniel, let's jump down a couple of verses to Revelation 22.1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God. And of the Lamb. And in the midst of it, now this is the eighth day, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, praise God, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing. Of the nations. The millennium has a river. The eighth day has a river. But the millennium has a temple. But John said, I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God and the Lamb are the temple singular thereof. Praise God. Don't you want to go? You know, friends, I I really struggle. I honestly do. I'll just be honest with you tonight. I really, really struggle with anybody who don't want to go here. If the millennium was the end of it, compare the millennium to a lake of fire. Anybody in the right mind would choose a lake of fire over this? I'm sorry. I, I just cannot comprehend 
such a choice. And let me just go ahead and say it further. I don't understand anybody that don't want to serve him now. Brother Donnie, you don't have a clue what you've missed out on. Oh, I think I do. I talk to a lot of people. I've had to deal with a lot of people who've missed out on a lot of things, you know, or, or indulged in a lot of things that I suppose they've missed out on. And I've seen the scars. I've seen the pain. I've seen the agony and things that's involved in it. Nope. I'd much rather be right here tonight feeling the presence of God, hearing these saints sing, seeing you worship God, preaching the Word, than any bar stool, whatever the best dope there is in the world, so-called. I'd rather be right here tonight in the house of God than anything the devil could offer. What about you? He ain't got nothing that compares. In all reality, folks, those who aren't serving the Lord aren't in the right mind. Now, their IQ may be far beyond ours. I'm not talking about your IQ. I'm talking about your ability to know God. What greater thing could you have? Praise God. Well, praise the Lord. I wouldn't care much to set you back down and start on part two for in the morning. <laughs> no, I'm going to let you go. I went a little bit long, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You forgive me. I went about 10 minutes over, so I'll, I'll try to do the same thing again in the morning just so that. Don't you want to go? Let's bow our heads together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a blessed time. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow holds. This year, next month, next week. But we have a long view of our future. And it is looking wonderful. Praise God. At any moment, our bodies can be changed. We'll go up to that great marriage supper. There we'll sit at the great table. Then we'll be invited by you to come back to the earth to start the cycle of the seventh morning. Praise God. We begin to look around that day when we're resurrected. All these dead bodies are cleared off and the birds and so on will Take care of that. Then, Lord, the earth comes to this cleansing. You start unveiling it. Lord, I I long to see it. I long to see your great hand as you go to unfold your mercy. Lord, I see tonight taking place on this earth the same thing that has taken place in my earth. Praise God. You've changed me, Lord. You took me as a little boy. Changed me. Father, you took many of these these people when they were 30 or 40 or 50 or whatever more, and you changed their topography. They look like the world. They act like the world. They talk like the world. But something got a hold of them. The water's from the throne of God. Praise God. And God said, you're healed, my daughter. You're healed, my son. Where there was cursing, now there's praising. Where there was cigarettes, now there's pillar of fire. Thanks be to God. 
Well, there was liquor and alcohol, there's new wine. Because there ain't room for both in the same house. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We've seen our topography change. These ladies change their dresses. These men, they change their topography as well. We see the effect taking place from the inside out. Oh, Lord Jesus. We know that you will finish this last day of the week well. You will close it out, mighty God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May there not be a one of us missing that day, Lord. Help us. May we search our hearts tonight, Father. May the great light of that city, may it condescend right here tonight in this building in the form of the Word. May it search every avenue of our hearts, our souls, our minds, our attitudes, everything, Lord. We know attitude has a great deal to do with altitude. So if our attitude ain't right, we're not going to get very high off this ground. We want to leave this world, Lord Jesus. Help us not to stick our nose up in the air and act like we're somebody. But may we bow our heads to the dust of the earth. Thank God for mercy. Praise God. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Don't you love him tonight, saints? Amen. Hey, let's just sing something. It'll be fitting for this. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Oh, blessed Father, we worship you tonight, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We praise your name, Lord Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Your word is the old God. Pure and the free. Thank you, Jesus. These truths, These truths in, God's, in word God's word has given. Thy Lord has given. How beautiful. Let's sing it together with all of our hearts. Oh, how beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and Jesus, pure waters of life, pure waters of life, there are flowing, and all who will drink, thank you, Lord, amen, thank you, Jesus, rare jewels, of great splendor 
they are going how beautiful ever oh let's raise our hands saints let's sing it with all of our hearts how beautiful heaven must be your home tonight I'm talking about your honeymoon your honeymoon suite praise God what a suite for Jesus and his bride for the week oh how beautiful again.
have you enjoyed the word of the Lord tonight? Amen. Amen. Got some information about Brother Jewel Forney. Just uh, in the last day or two, uh, the doctors have told him, unless something has changed, the doctors have told him that he's got to wear a protective vest. Uh, somehow or another, it's electronic that keeps his heart in the right rhythm. And he was going to have to cancel all of his meetings for the next couple of months. Now, that was this week. Something may have changed. We want to remember Brother Jewel Forney tonight. Precious brother in the Lord. If you've got a need here tonight, committed unto the Lord. Committed unto him. Trust him. He's got your interests at heart. Brother Joel is going to sing Brother Jewel's song tonight to go along with what we've heard. We're fixing to, we're fixing to head for a great time. Won't it be a time when we get over yonder? Say it, buddy. Y'all help me sing this. Not only help me sing it, help me do it. I ain't playing. It's time for church. It's time for worship. I'm a worshiper. Where are my worshipers at out there? I'm counting on you. I said, won't it be a time? Come on now. Oh, won't it be a time? Oh, won't it be a time? Oh, won't it be a time? Oh, Let me see your hands. Oh, I look at my hands, and my hands look new. I look at these old feet, and you know they did. Come on. Oh, I look all around me, all of That's your new home. Oh, I said it's going to be a time. and feet and you know they did I looked all around my new home and my home it was new I said I believe I'll have a time Time. Yeah. 
singing, singing with the angels. I'm gonna have a time. Now, now last Sunday I went to see Brother Jewel. My family and I went down to see him, and that's my buddy. And I told him, I said, Brother Jewel, I sang your song, Forgive Me. And he asked me, he said, did you do all this? Did you look at your hands? Did you look at your feet? I said, yes, sir. I sure did. Because, saints, we have to realize that Brother Jewel is who he is. You are who you are. I am who I am. But when we get in that new city, can you imagine? Because sometimes I look at you, and I look at me too. So, But sometimes I watch you, and you look wondering, what's somebody going to say to the person sitting next? What does it matter? I sat back there when I came in. I felt like just just standing up and just worshiping me before anything ever happened in the service. We got to learn to let loose and let go and let God. Don't worry about what you're going through. Don't worry about what's ahead of you. Let's look at where we are now because this could be the very service that your very body has changed. And you won't be worried about looking cute and worried about what somebody's going to say or do. Won't it be your time? These old feet, they took me places I didn't need to go. They look new. Oh, I looked all around me, and all around me shine. I said, I'm gonna have a time. again in the morning, going to be singing for us, Brother Donnie, the Lord willing, going to be bringing us the word of the Lord, telling us more about our honeymoon. It's going to be worth you being here for. Get out of here, you're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Sing it as they go, Brother Joel. When you hear of my home going, y'all excuse me, don't worry about me. Now when you hear of my home going, don't worry about me, no. Now when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me. 
I made preparations. Oh, yes, I'm on my way home. Now, when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me. Now, when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me. Now, when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me. I made preparations, oh yes, I'm on my way home. One thing I know, yeah, I've been born again. I made preparations one Thursday, cause I didn't know when the Lord would call me, be my time to go. I'm fixed up right now, oh yes, I'm on my way home. Now when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about this old boy. Now when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me, no. Now when you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me. I'm fixed up right now, oh yes, I'm on my way home. One thing I know, yeah, I sure been born again. I made preparations one Thursday on a college campus cause I didn't know when <laughs> that you'd call me, be my time to go. I'm fixed up right now, oh yes, I'm on my way home. And now if you hear of my home going, don't you worry about your Brown. Now if you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me. Now if you hear of my home going, don't you worry about me.